optimism. podcast we are here and we are live and a lot going on and we are gonna find out what it means for you whether you're an entrepreneur entrepreneur you are a leader in some company and you are working out and trying to make it work or you're just curious of when all this madness is gonna stop we're gonna see if we can make some sense of it and have some what's in it for you as we all go driving in this thing called American business um, I missed you. It's been a week. I was really looking forward to seeing everybody today. Uh, and partly because at the end of the week, there was a bunch of good news. I got some DMs on Twitter. People were asking me, hey, BizDoc, make sense of this. What's going on? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the stock market today. Why is it up when everybody's talking about a recession? Uh, we're going to talk about that. We've got to talk about First Republic Bank and some big lessons in there, whether you, like I like to say, running a tech company in Silicon Valley, or you're making t-shirts in Berlin, there's something we can learn from First Republic as you go through and maybe have opportunities that's in um, your industry to do things. Then we're also going to go uh, interest rates and inflation. What that means for us is we're planning. We're planning the future. And then a little bit on oil. Drill, baby, drill, as I like to say. And we're also taking questions from you. So if you have a question along the way, uh, please drop it in the Super Chat so that we can you know, answer that. I love taking your questions where we can provide first-line feedback to you and what you're doing. And if this is good, you can always find the BizDoc on Minect, M-I-N-N-E-C-T.com. You go find us there, download it to your phone, find me, connect with me. Happy to answer questions about your business. Uh, great way to do that. All right, today, Kellyanne is off in a distant shoot that I think will be evident to people soon enough. But she is on the road, and today we have with us Kai. I'm loving it. All right. How you doing, Tom? Kai, on, coming to us. Remember Kai, the you know, BizDoc, first BizDoc sighting on the PBD podcast. It was Kai that was there that was running, running the questions and running the stuff. So I'm really glad to have Kai back. Kai and I get along really, really well. And um, he always has insights. And so we're going to be going back and forth on some of that today. Absolutely. But, um, How's the weekend? Weekend's been good. It's been good. We got a lot of exciting topics, so uh, I'm definitely excited to jump in, learn, and uh, I got some questions for you as well. Yeah, everybody in Miami is happy because Miami Heat, you know, refused to die, and so I guess they won last night. So it's one to one NBA Finals, which is always kind of good. Anyway, so let's let's roll right, right into it. So the DMs I was getting on Friday. It's like, what's up with the stock market? The stock market is up, but I've been playing conservative because of, um, you know, I'm, I'm just really worried. I, I, I don't want to have any crash and interest rates and inflation and everything. It's like, okay, let me see if I can make sense of what's going on. So at the end of last week, there is a bunch of news that the stock market considers good. It may not be good for America or good for the economy long term, but the stock market considers it to be good. So what's this mean for you and me? Well, first of all, debt ceiling deal. And we had this, everybody knows how I feel. I think it was this bogus tension that we create. It's like an Avengers movie, this debt ceiling. Oh, we're going to default on the debt ceiling. Terrible things are going to happen. The dollar won't be the reserve currency. And I'm like, calm down, calm down, calm down. Look at your watch. This movie's been playing for two hours. We got roughly 20 minutes for Aquaman, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, or whomever 
to come and save the world in the last 20 minutes. And guess what? That's what happens. Except in this movie, the world doesn't get saved. The world gets shafted because the deal that's done by our elected officials kicks the can down the road. There's no reduction in spending. There was just a controlled effort to say, I get to spend this, you get to spend that, but I'm not giving you that, you won't give me this. And it goes back and forth, and then they reach a debt ceiling deal, which basically means to raise the limit on the company credit card, which is the country credit card, these United States of America, and they're going to keep spending. So they kick the can down the road. But the fact that the risk is removed from the dialogue, the stock market likes it. The stock market also wants to know what is going to be spent or not spent. And let's say there was an announcement that they were going to cut the research funding that maybe comes out of the federal government for drugs. That would cause biosector, whoop, pharmaceutical, whoop, that's what would happen. So instead, the market wants to know, okay, we have a debt deal, good, and what's being cut? Nothing. So the market's like, woohoo, all the government money that's going to end up at... Um, companies, because government's buying services and goods from companies, uh, just like anybody else is, are a huge customer, especially defense. Spending keeps going, so the market likes that. The second thing the market liked was there was an announcement that they said interest rates probably going to be flat in June. I've been predicting this. Those of you that are following me, you heard me. I've been saying this. No raise in June, no raise in uh, August, and these are scheduled meetings of the Fed. And I think the next one's coming up June 13th, 14th. You double-check that, Kai. And I think we also have economic data. So sometimes the Fed gets together, and they don't say much. It's like your dad coming home tired from work. All right, I'm going to give you your allowance, but just leave me alone. I'm going to bed. That's one type of Fed meeting. The other type of Fed meeting is your dad says, hey... You know, um, there it is, uh, June 13th, 14th, and July 25th, 26th, and September 19th, 20th, and October 31st. So I believe no, nothing, Ray, can they see this right now? Um, I don't believe so. That's a... Oh, that's just we'll, me? We'll bring it up. We'll bring it up. Okay, that's okay. But anyway, in the next three meetings, I believe the Fed's going to be flat. Because, and at the next meeting, they're going to be announcing economic statistics. And this is where your dad comes home, and he, and he says... Tom, come in here and sit in the kitchen with me. How are you doing? I'm home from work here. I'd like to talk about your report card coming up in your finals. Have you been studying? What's been going on there? And you end up in this discussion with your dad, and he's looking at all the numbers. He's giving you his opinion. The Fed does that not at every meeting. That's happening June 13th, 14th. So we're going to hear all manner of, of government-generated BS. Oh, 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 I mean, I mean economic statistics from the government are going to be rolled out, and we're going to talk all about that at the next Fed meeting. Well, the, everyone is saying, hey, Fed's not going to raise rates. It's going to be flat. That's what I've been saying is going to happen, and that's the forecast that I gave. So the market is getting more certainty of that as we are barely not even a week. A week from now is the 12th, and that is when the Fed are all going to be gathering together. The meetings happen on the 13th, 14th. So a week away, the market is like, oh, I like that. That's good news. The other good news is there's been signs that tech has been popping up on earnings. Want to know why? Some of this is temporary. Some of it is permanent. But the temporary part is, what did tech do during first quarter and fourth quarter? Layoff, 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 layoff. So every time you lay people off, you trim expenses. Now, there may be a big bubble that you have to say, well, I laid them off and I gave them all a severance payment. So here's this big, like an egg going through a snake. It's like this lump that goes through their financials. But 
they move that off and say, without the lump, this is my financials. The market goes, woohoo, you're more profitable. Because even if your sales are flat, if you reduce expenses by laying a bunch of people off, good things happen and market's happy. So there you go. So on Friday, you had all this stuff happening for the market. Suddenly, there is this pop-up in a bunch of headlines. You see these, Kai, on Friday and Saturday? Yep. Have we killed the bear? Mm-hmm. Have we jumped out of the bear market back into a bull market? You saw those? Yeah. Yeah, what did you think about that? You're reading that stuff. Because I know you're really well-read, and you dive into this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of it, especially in a news cycle, is they're just trying to have something as an excuse of jumping up or down and something new's going on. But I think overall, obviously, you have to look at it in a long, longer time horizon as opposed to just short-term three days and suddenly we're out of a bear market. And then also knowing what's coming on the horizon because just because it's good today doesn't mean it's going to be good tomorrow and unless anything within the system has changed from a fundamental standpoint it's all just gravy on top anyways so the party has to end at some point yep and what's interesting about this so i started diving in you know that's what i do boring guy two daughters my wife what do i do i get my coffee i'm usually up early i pop up at 5 30 every morning as it is um you know um Monday through Friday, I'm usually up by five, actually. But what I did was sitting there on Saturday, diving into the numbers. And what was very, very interesting is because of what happened last week, the S&P, so the S&P 500, which is a large basket of stocks that matter for you and me, everything from energy to automobiles to consumer goods to pharmaceutical, the S&P 500, it's a big basket of stuff. And so it's not like the NASDAQ 100, which is primarily tech. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, they had their best week. The first week of June, uh, going into the first week of June, last week of May, coming out of Memorial Day. It's not even the end of second quarter. There's not anything big was going on except those three things happen. Debt deal, interest rates looks like they're going to be flat and noise from tech that some good earnings is coming, especially from Apple. So I dive into it, but what I found, the bets on the broad market. So there's always the narrow market. How's energy? How's tech? How's retail? How's big box retail versus small retail? You have all these dialogues you hear, and then you'll back up and you hear, how's the broad market doing? Well, the broad market doing is basically the wider market look that would matter in the most areas of the economy. And on the broad market, believe it or not, the bets on the S&P 500 future, because remember, the futures, you can buy what's called an option. You can bet the market's gonna go up or gonna go down. Let's say the market's at 100, just pick a number. If if you put an option out there, you have to put part of your money down, your number is 100. If that's an option that you think the market's gonna go up and it goes up to 110, you get $10. If you bet that it was gonna go down and it goes down to 90, you get $10, the difference between this. Now, if you bet the market's gonna go down, then they call you a bear, bearish options, that's what they mean, you think the market's going down, but it goes up to 110, you have to pay 10. So you lose your bet and you have to pay the 10. So that's how it goes. Well, what's I looked at the broad market futures, hedge fund and speculation by you know, individual high net worth uh, speculators and organizations 
is the bearish that it's been since 2007. In other words, there's a massive amount on the broad market S&P futures that believe it's going down. So they believe that long term it's going down. Now, why would the market be up on a Friday? We got a bunch of good news and the market didn't go to the moon. It only jumped up a little bit. But the longer look, they're thinking bearish. Well, and they think it's the worst since the financial crash of 0708. Wait a minute. That's like 17 years ago, I thought, you know, 16, 17 years ago is what we're talking about. That's correct. It is 16, 17 years ago. The being bearish, most bearish since that time. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Well, if that's the case, why is the market up? Well, I just told you for the short run and for going into the thing, hey, we think we're going to a bull market, not a bear market. But the market is the broad market apparently still bearish. These hedge funds still think that there could be trouble. Now, where? Well, real estate hasn't come back yet. Banks, you know, um, are still getting hurt by high interest rates because they got bonds that are upside down. That's what killed Silicon Valley Bank. They had a bunch of bonds they bought at 2%. Interest rates go to 5%. They can't sell the 2% bonds. They die and they end up with a liquidity crisis and the bank fails. And we all saw how that happened. So in the midst of all this, mortgages aren't doing well. Home repairs are doing well. Lowe's and Home Depot aren't doing well. You know, HELOCs aren't doing well. Consumer credit's way up, right? So you have that side of it. That is making people have a bearish view of the market because they're saying, and tell me what exactly the consumer is going to be buying with. And they want to see growth and maintain that growth, but not looking like it. So you flip that over the other way and say, well, then why... Why was the market up? Remember I talked about tech. Debt deal, interest rates, tech. Well, tech is in a good place. They've made all these layoffs. Life isn't so horrible. And it looks like they're going to be some good earnings. And there's a lot of funds out there betting on tech. So you can believe the broad market and the economy with it are going to have tough times and a recession and things going on. You can believe that at the same time you believe, but I think tech's going to be okay. Remember, when gas prices are up, the oil, oil stocks were doing pretty well. Was that price gouging? You can have that debate another time. But there's an example of something that looks bad. Oh, my gosh, heating oil. You know, average people paying for gas in their cars to commute. Bad news, oil stocks up, good news. There's always using kind of a balancing effect in all this, and that's what's going on. Um, what I like to look at is the VIX. And the VIX is a index that shows the volatility people think in the market. So, and there's also um, a volatility that people think is coming in tech. So let's take the... Um, VNX, the VXN first, VXN, which yep. is the VIX for the NASDAQ 100. I'll give you a little lesson here. Even if you don't watch the market, if you get up in the morning and you check the weather, also check these two indexes. These two indexes is basically a weather report or it's kind of a hurricane map. You see those maps, picture of Florida and the Gulf, and they'll have all these lines that they draw. They say the hurricane could go here, here, and here. And you have all these lines all over the place, but there's a bunch of them in the middle. 
So he's saying it could be anything, but right here in the middle is what we think is going to happen. Think of this as the volatility index of what's going on. And this is the VXN. This is the volatility of, and do it one year. Click on one year if you would there. Yep. There you go. So look, the volatility of tech seems like it's going down, but put your arrow right there in March of this year. March, April, March. Back up. Back up. March, 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 March. There you go. Boing. It goes up. Why? People were scared about volatility. Then there was layoffs and things going on. Suddenly the volatility starts dropping. When this line goes down the way it is, that means the market is perceiving less volatility in tech. So when this goes down, it's usually good for the tech part of the stock market. There's your weather forecast. Well, gee, BizDoc, what about the rest of the market? Well, the rest of the market is measured in a thing simply called the VIX. The VIX is basically the broader market. We can go take a look at that one now. That, was the, that one we just saw was the volatility of basically the NASDAQ 100, which is heavily weighted tech. Then we go the other side to the other VIX. We can go take a look at that. And let's do the thing, one year. One year. And you have largely similar but flatter. You know, if you were to put these side by side, it is flatter. So they think there's less volatility in tech than there is in the broader market right now. So there you have it. <clears throat> That's what's going on with the stock market. The stock market got pieces of good news, had a pop-up. A lot of people think that maybe that pop-up could be the starting gun, and they're off. Bang. Like at the Olympics for the, um, when they sprint, you know, mark, get set, go. They think that this is mark, get set, go for a bull market to replace the bear market because we've had a bear market for a while now. And they're, they're itching to get going again. And they're hoping that the interest rates start to drop, which will really drive the bear market. On the other hand, the Fed is worried about inflation. And there was also some reports that came out uh, on Friday about wage growth and about unemployment. And some people were saying, yikes, is the Fed going to see that and maybe raise rates in June? I don't think there's a chance. I think the rates are going to be flat in June. Could there be a quarter point in July, July 25th, 26th? Maybe, but I don't see it. But nonetheless, the Fed doesn't like it when it sees wage growth and it sees what it saw because it usually means that wages are being driven and that's going to drive inflation. Because when wages get driven, companies raise prices. That's how it goes. So that's going on with point one is... um, the market, there's a lot going on back and forth. Um, I hope we're about to go into a bear, uh, bull market. Um, <clears throat> I think we'll get there. I'm more concerned about what, what matters to everyday consumers. I'm worried about the mortgage market, home starts, the ability to buy a home, uh, rents subsiding a little bit, and interest rates coming down, which will also help interest rates come down on credit cards. Um, now, mortgage rates are very much tied to the 10-year bond. 10-year bond goes up, mortgage rate goes up. 10-year bond goes down. I'm talking about T-bills bonds. So that's, that's kind of what I, what, what I look at. Nonetheless, that brings us into a discussion. So what does it mean for you? What I just said there. The mortgage side of this doesn't look like it's getting a lot of help. But it may be that the uh, broader market is, is going to do well. So your IRA, your 401k, as a business owner, you say, this is great. I hope the market 
improves. Hope the economy improves. All good. And I hope we go to a bear market. And I hope that means more people are buying stuff from me because you're running a business. Well, let's go back to the personal side of it because that's what affects your employees. That affects you as well. Interest rates and inflation under control. So we all just talked about this. Interest rates. June 13th, 14th, I don't think they're going up. But we need to see cuts. Now, when can we see cuts? The Fed actually wants to see more unemployment before they make cuts to the interest rates. Now, I think they're going to get their way, and I don't want to see heavy unemployment. I just want to see enough signals in the broad market that the Fed feels comfortable dropping rates. And I'd like to see one drop, maybe two this year. I'm not betting on it, though. I think we'll see one drop at the end of the year because they really want to see 2% inflation, but inflation is not under control yet. It's still over 5%. And so now what do you do? Um, So I have a consumer price index chart. I want to show you something here. So this is where your employees live. This is where you live. This is where America lives. And so remember, the stock market could be going up because tech has more profits because they laid off a bunch of people. Well, that certainly isn't good for those bunch of people. And we have a consumer price index. Yep, I here, we, it up. here we go. So you can see the consumer price index is coming down. But you can see what happened to inflation there starting, um, you know, really went nuts um, at the end of 21. So tw- all 21 and 22, you can see what we had. Inflation went nuts, and we almost got to 10% inflation. I think we got to like you know, 9%, 9.1. So year over year, we're good. <clears throat> but year over year, it just means the, the prices are still going up. Go look back at 2015, 16, 17. That's where we want to see. You want to see consumer price index 2% a year, maybe 3% a year. You can see where it was. And we are still, where are we right now, officially, according to the end of that curve? 49 4.9%. As, as of April. So obviously it should be yep. updated a little bit on that end. Yep. So I think we're 4.5 things I've seen. So you can still see this is happening, but we still need the Fed to cut rates. Um, and But I don't think we're going to get that to the end of the year. So we go from 9.1%. Now we're at 4.5%. So we've cut it in half. Government running for office, bureaucrats, not people running your business or paying your employees or paying your paycheck, They say, we've cut inflation in half. Well, that's kind of like saying you wrecked your car and you came home and your dad was yelling at you, but your sister walked in with straight A report card and now your dad's only half as mad. He's still pissed off. You know, he's still really mad. He's just half as mad. You know, that's that's the economy. That's what we got right now. So year over year from June, 9.1 down to four and a half. Pretty good um, progress, but we got to get to 2% um, inflation. The Fed has to say, I want to see 2% inflation. And you saw where that chart just was that we showed you, and it was 2.5%, 3%. Show it there um, April of 15. April of 15, yeah. Zero. And then it went up. Take me to 16. See? 2, 2.7. 1.5. Now one. you can see why the government wants to see 2% inflation. It wants to get back into that zone where we were for a whole bunch of years. In 2015, it was pretty crazy. Consumer price index was zero. 
Um, that was pretty good. So, what are we saying? We have a trillion in credit card debt. People need relief from inflation so they can get that down. Um, we have mortgage rates that are still hovering. What is today's, can you do a- um, Mortgage rate? Yeah, just do a Google search on this. Today's mortgage rates, and let's find a 30-year fix for good credit people. As of Friday, it was still 698 that I saw. It's a 30-year uh, loan amount. This is a calculator. Let's see. Here. Yeah, just find 30-year. So 6.9 30... to 7.02. So, in other words, that's, I had it at 695 to 698. So, over the weekend, it's actually three-tenths. So, mortgages are still 7%, gang. So, the, your government may say, we have cut... You know, Joe Biden may say, we have cut, you know, you know, inflation in half. Consumer price index has gone from 9% to 4.5. And, oh, and then Biden falls down or something, has to be helped up. And meanwhile, it's a 7% mortgage. And people that want to retire and still have a little bit of a mortgage in there, but a small one, they're going to be able to afford in retirement. My mom had a small one for a while like $200,000, small mortgage, very manageable. She had a pension, she had Social Security, and she had a 401k that she was forced to take a little allowance each month. Put that all together, she was able to afford, you know, 1,200 bucks a month on a very reasonable mortgage on a, on a house she had. And so, guess what? If she was moving, you know, I've moved her down here with me, down in South Florida. The 86-year-old 80, BizDoc mom, there's the BizDoc babe and the BizDoc mom. And the BizDoc mom, I look after her. You know, I want to make sure things are okay. But if she had to move down here now, she probably wouldn't be able to do it. <clears throat> and now a lot of people are in the same position. And then people that are being forced to move for, for work because they're getting laid off. And yes, there's layoffs happening. We all know. 7% mortgage, they can't do it either. And with the 7% mortgage, you have a lot of people... What did I just describe? I described my mom that wouldn't have sold her, her house. Because 7%, she said, why am I going to sell 7%, my 2% mortgage that she had, go down to Florida and get a 7% mortgage on a house that's slightly more expensive? Suddenly they don't move. And there's a big chunk of the economy that has citizens in it and consumers that don't have to move. Lose the job, you got to go, you're forced to do it. But right now the mortgage side of things still doesn't look good. So, you know, escrow companies, title companies, mortgage companies, Remax, Century 21, you get a lot of companies out there that are still out there. And, um, you know, those stocks and those, that part of the market's not going to be looking good. So right now, we're, we're heading in the right direction, I think. But now is not the time to buy a house. Now is not the time to do that. Now is the time to keep hunkering down in your business and focus, focus, focus on running a great business and be the stronger business that comes out at the, at the end of the day. So that's the economy size of it. <clears throat> in the midst of all this, I want to talk about something. Um, an announcement came out over the weekend that has more relevance for you than you might realize. It was First Republic Bank. First Republic Bank. Kai, what happened yep. to First Republic? They went bottoms up. That's right. May 1st, then, I believe, they were bought by Exactly. Chase. 
And then the government held a garage sale, and who showed up at the garage sale? Well, our friend Jamie Dimon. And J.P. Morgan says, hey, are you, uh, you, uh, you selling those uh, baseball cards? Yeah, and so he picked up all the, the good stuff there, and he looked at the bottom of a, of a um, uh, piece of china. Yeah. And it said Tiffany's, 1925, so yeah. he picked that up. So he was very careful at this garage sale. But um, so anyway, over the weekend, they announced that they're closing 21 First Republic Bank branches, closing 21 of them by the end of 23. Mm-hmm. Now, that was 25% of the 84 branches. And they're like, closing them? Why is J.P. Morgan closing the branches of First Republic? The poor people. What about the people that have to go into those branches and get services from them? I thought J.P. Morgan bought this bank out of bankruptcy and the government covered part of the bailout. It was a bailout. And then J.P. Morgan on the auction bought the rest of the stuff. Calm down, calm down, calm down. I'm going to tell you what happened here. And we're going to do a little case study for you and me, business owners. First of all, they said that the um, branches had low transaction volume, meaning that they said they were and they were driving distance to another branch. At least that's what they're saying. That's what they're claiming. So they're in the midst of all that. They're um, they're focused on trying to assimilate what's going on. And some weeks ago, they also announced that they were they announced a layoff, didn't they? Yes, they did. How many people they lay off? A thousand employees. <clears throat> so J.P. Morgan said after the garage sale, they laid off a thousand employees. <clears throat> now then. Wait, they're laying off employees. They're closing branches. I thought they bought this to do something good. Here you go. Ready? Onlookers, take note. It was never about the branches. It was never about the employees. It was about the customers. And they believe that you and I may be driving to get to other First Republic branches. Um, There were 84 branches. It wasn't a giant bank. But uh, 21 closed, so there's going to be 63, 62 branches left. But here's what J.P. Morgan acquired. $173 billion of loans, meaning they are now collecting the interest on those loans. Excuse me, $30 billion of securities that were owned by the bank. Remember, the bank went bankrupt. And it doesn't mean they had nothing. It's just meaning they had more debt or bad bonds than they had this stuff. Bad news. Then they had $92 billion in deposits. Those deposits is what you and I had in the bank, which the FDIC said, those are going to be safe. Don't worry about it. Consumers, small business, you're not going to lose your money. Calm down. And so that's what happened. So it was never about what was inside the branches, people, the branch itself, it was always what was inside the company. 173 billion in loans, 30 billion of securities, and 92 billion of deposits. It's always what was inside. And so that's what JP Morgan was buying. Because a bank is known by its deposits, its loans, and the securities it owns. It's not about the employees or the branches. Sorry. So when they bought this, <clears throat> they knew full well Hey, we're going to lay off these people. We're going to close these banks. We're going to save money on there. But these are the diamonds they bought. They didn't buy the jewelry case. They bought the jewels. And here's a lesson for us. Okay, study. 
What's, when it comes to businesses, when you come to buying things, what's inside is far more invaluable often. You're not buying the house. You're buying the, the furniture, the stuff that you can take to that antique roadshow. Remember yeah. the antique roadshow program that used to be on, what was that? Discovery Channel? Discovery Channel, whatever. And people would find this old, say, I found this bowl, says Tiffany's 1929 on the box that belonged to my grandmother. Yeah. And they look at it and they go, my oh. goodness. Pawn stars. There was, there was only about, you know, a hundred of these made. And this is immaculate condition. Oh, it sat on a shelf in her living room, was never used. It was decoration. Mm-hmm. So it never got chipped or normal yeah. things from usage. Did you know collectors are paying six to $7,000 for these 1929 Tiffany dishes? Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> That's exactly what it works here. The, the other part about the, house, it, the other part about it too is I'll give you three thousand dollars for the six thousand dollars Tiffany. Exactly right. Like today. Yeah. Well, here's an example. Once upon a time, I had a publishing company. I had software. I had employees. I had business licenses. I had a bunch of stuff in a functioning company. But when it came time to sell the company, they said to me, "We only want to buy your book list and the contracts with your your authors and the finished books." and ebooks that are for sale at Amazon. That's all we want. The rest of it, we don't. Well, so what they did, they did what's called an asset purchase. So I got paid for my business, but then part of what I had left, I paid some finishing um, bonuses to my employees and some vacation pay, and we closed the business because it's been sold. Now, why is, that, why is that important for you and me? Well, let's say right now, that you have a couple extra bucks. And because of COVID and everything, you have a competitor across town that maybe is having a tough time. You don't wanna buy the company. When you buy the company, sometimes, now let's say they're small, let's say it's two construction guys and you both do kitchen refinishing and one of you will do small houses if you get a contract for it. But most of the time you're doing remodels, add a room, new kitchen, expand the garage, all those sort of things. You gotta get permits, you have a bunch of subcontractors that are everything from plumbing to drywall, the framing to electrical, all those folks that come with it, and you do that. And the guy across town's having a tough time of it. And you say to him, say, tell you what, what if I buy your business? And you find out he's got four contracts going, and he has a couple trucks that are in good shape that he's not leased, he owns them. And he's got a bunch of equipment, you know, $100,000 of Makita and, you know, craftsman tools. You say, look, I'll buy all that from you, the contracts you've got going now, and I'll buy all the tools, but I'm only paying this. And he's got, what about my people? Well, if we got places for them, we can do that. So a lot of times companies will make an asset purchase like that. And so you pay an amount to your buddy your typical purchase would be, hey, how much revenue do you have? What profit do you have? Maybe I'll pay you this many times profit. Well, asset sales in a distressed situation, you're only buying what's in the house and then you leave the other guy to close off the house and whatever costs there are to do that. And if you had a credit card on it, you don't wanna buy the company because then the credit card's yours. So there's a lot of things that happen in small businesses that larger transactions, we know how to do that. We have set-asides, we have you know um, reserves that are held for debts, that were undisclosed liabilities that we deduct later. But a lot of times a small business or a bank going out of business, there's not time for that. JP Morgan, all they bought was what was inside the banks, really. 
and what you would buy, think of it that way. If there's somebody in trouble across town, all you're interested in buying would be maybe those tools, the profit on a few contracts, and that's it. Say, I'll give you a couple bucks, and then you take those bucks, close the business, and I'll take these assets. And so this right now is actually a very good time. If you're one of the ones that's in your market and you happen to have a few extra bucks because you can make, sometimes these are called aqua hires, an acquisition that's a hire. I'll give you another example. Um, software businesses. So let's say you have a small software business and you're making software for you know, websites and you're making custom websites for certain types of companies. And you know of another company doing that. They got a bunch of people came out of an ad agency. They're doing that. And you hear they're not doing so well. But what was interesting, sometimes people make aqua hires. You acquisition, but you make the hires. Hey, I'll buy your five contracts that are paying you a thousand a month on the websites. I'll buy those contracts and I'll give you all jobs. So rather than this company, ah, going out of business, you make what's called an acquisition, but you're actually hiring people, aqua-hire. And so these are the many ways that most people don't think about this. People say, well, I want to buy my friend's business, but man, that's a crappy little business. There's nothing going on. I say, yeah, but he's a friend? Yeah. Would you want him working for you? Well, maybe. I'd hire him. Okay. Well, what, what's the value? Well, he does have a couple contracts with some people that keep paying him, but it's not enough to run the whole business. Yeah, but would you like to add those contracts to your business? Well, yeah, of course I would. <clears throat> Maybe you say, I'll hire you and you give me those contracts and then I'll give you a couple bucks <clears throat> and you just close your business. Aquahire. And that's how small business should think about this. You should be very opportunistic about it. If you want to talk more about this, again, find me on Minect, download Minect, find me there. We set up a time to talk and we can go through this. Because these are the exact kind of things that during a tough time like right now, you can be the one that wins in your industry. And you might even have ways without a lot of capital to make minor acquisitions to come out stronger on the other side. And when you're running a great, strong, profitable business, good things happen to you. Sometimes you get opportunities to take a competitor off the table. And this, this is true all the way going up into larger businesses that are no longer small proprietorships. I know right now of a wonderful uh, company where the CEO has been um, uh, doing independent consulting with Patrick Bet David through the Mastermind program at Valuetainment and Bet David Consulting. And he's in a position now to get even stronger during this recession and during the tough times we're having. And he's looking at a couple smaller companies in his space that he may acquire. Now, and we're talking about a guy with a $50 million company now, $50 million in revenue. We're not talking small anymore. So he's about to get stronger during these tough times. And it all started by running a great business and then working with a mastermind and elite masterminds. And if you're interested in those, you should check out Valuetainment and Bet David Consulting about masterminds and elite masterminds and other programs where you can get together with Patrick Bet David and others who will consult with you about what you need to do with your business. You can also come to the vault. Valuetainment runs the vault. August 30th to September 2nd this year, going to be the vault. A lot of people down there, Patrick's going to be giving all kinds of lessons. I'm going to be down there teaching. And 
Tom Brady is going to be down there, and he and Pat are going to have a live conversation on stage about leadership. Tom Brady won the Super Bowl with three different types of teams in New England Patriots. How did he lead those different teams? Tremendous lessons. Also, we're going to have Mike Tyson down there talking about resilience, what he went through in his career, and the things that made him who he is. It's very valuable. Not all of us come from, you know, privileged backgrounds where everything was smooth. But the point is, during times like this, these are the resources Valuetainment has, but this is what great companies are doing to make themselves even stronger during the recession. And so that's the lesson. Maybe that's a long explanation of First Republic. When I was looking at that, I'm like, man, so many businesses, I hope they look and see between the lines here. And that's why I thought I would uh, bring that one up. You don't always have to buy that house. You can buy what's in it that's valuable and add it to your house. Uh, that's one way. So, Tom, I have a quick question in terms of this topic. Um, obviously, with the with the layoffs and the uh, closing of the branches and stuff like that, what are other common things that typically happen in or after a merger has happened in terms of the consolidation of and streamlining of the business? <clears throat> well, usually there's an effort. With any merger and acquisition, there is usually a very intentional effort um, to secure the customers. Now, let's say you're, you're the bank. The bank wants to keep the customers that have loans and deposits there. So step one, Kai, secure the customers. Make sure you secure the customers. Step two is, is add your efficiency to the business. Now, what if J.P. Morgan has a large HR department? They do. Well, you don't need HR at First Republic Bank. Yep. What if they now you do need it for escalations if there's sexual harassment in the workplace? Mm -hmm. They got to have somebody to call and you have mm -hmm. to take care of your employees. But nonetheless, JP Morgan's got very large resources to do that. What about facilities management, managing all the branches? Branches. Mm -hmm. Last time I checked, Chase has got a bajillion branches. Yeah. Well, we can do that from over here. We don't need that. So all of a sudden, the duplicate expenses get eliminated. So make sure the customers know everything's okay, man. It's been acquired, but we love you, and you're going to get the same services. Step two, go after the expenses that may be duplicate. Step three, get on the growth. Because we don't buy something uh, just for the sake of buying it. You may buy a troubled company because by buying their assets, you can grow. And that's a little bit what we're talking about here. But J.P. Morgan is going to be expecting the remaining people at those First Republic banks and everything to be working on their growth plan. To attract people, nothing to see here. As a matter of fact, we're stronger than ever. That's J.P. Morgan behind me. Mm. So customers, expenses, growth plan. Yep. And um, so if you are part of a company that gets acquired, you want to make sure everybody knows, hey, I can help you with growth and I can deliver growth. Unfortunately, if you're part of a smaller company that's been acquired and you work in HR, facilities, uh, general operations... Unfortunately, a lot of those jobs go away. Um, you, you know, you may be wanting to get on radar early and often talking about, you know, what you can offer the larger enterprise. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> that's, that's usually the, uh, that's usually the sequencing, mm -hmm. you know, customers, duplicate expenses, and then moving on to growth plans. Awesome. Thank you. No, it's all good. Now, I then saw this over the weekend, and this is one of those, no kidding, 
statistics. You see the statistic, you go, no kidding? Well, check this out. 11.27 million barrels a day. You know what that is? Crude oil and refined products. Refined products, gasoline, heating oil, um, aviation fuel, avgas. 11.27 million barrels a day are exported of crude oil and crude oil products by the United States. Let me say that again, exported. And that is an all-time high. Let's take a look at this chart. I'm, I'm pulling it up still. And meanwhile, production of crude being pulled out of the ground rose to record highs in March, with drillers pumping out 12.7 million barrels a day. And you say, wait, Bizdoc, what's going on? I thought we bought all of our oil from the Middle East. No siree. We do not buy all of our oil from the Middle East. And we are an oil power. So wait a minute. If the United States is at an all-time high of exporting, who are we exporting to? Well, Canada buys a lot from us. Um, a lot of people buy from us. Well, I don't understand. I thought, you know, we're worried about the Saudis not pumping oil and stuff like that. Well, we are. Um, well, why all the media fuss about oil and about pipelines and about the Saudis and about OPEC? Well, let me explain something. If the United States is an oil power, we are more independent mm -hmm. and we are more um, crisis proof on the world stage because we can handle our own stuff. Uh, we drill out of um, uh, Texas and there's a type of oil when you'll see the price of oil for WTI, that stands for West Texas Intermediate. That's a type of oil. Mm. There's also light sweet crude. They talk a lot about Saudi oil, light sweet crude. Also talk about um, North Sea, Brent, Brent crude. Those are just types of oil. Just think of it as oil. And the world market for oil is very complex. But the United States, the more we become ener fully energy independent, and we actually are an exporter, what happens is that gives us independent. And that's not what the green lobby wants and the globalists want. The globalists and the green lobby are together on two things. Globalists want the U.S. to be part of a new world order and, and, and to come together. We are family kumbaya, and we all know what the globalists want, right? Complete destruction of sovereignty, one, one world government, the whole bit. Well, how do you get there if the United States is oil independent and the minute you have any moderate or conservative presidents, congresses, or senates United States, you're not going to get a... You, you, yeah. don't, you, don't, you will not, as they say, get the United States put over a barrel for that. No. It's not going to happen. So being oil independent, energy independent, works against the globalists' uh, desires for the United States. The other people that it works against is the Greens. The Greens want all fossil fuel to be stopped tomorrow. And California puts in things, uh, by 2030, all new cars have to be sold or electric, or whatever it was they did. Yep. Well, now, go try to overnight plug all those electric cars into California. The grid shorts out, and more, and more wildfires are started. Yeah, because dirty little secret in California... Their infrastructure for energy is terrible. It's outdated. So then Saudi comes out. 
because the price of oil, see the price of oil has been sliding down. And I don't have this one. Can you find that, Kai? Um, a oil oil pricing chart? Yeah, average price of crude, and let's go back one year. So we'll see what's going on here. So the price of oil has been gently coming down along with inflation getting under control. Remember, it's not there yet. It's just gone from 9.1 down to here. So you go one year, take a look at that. So in, is, was that January? January? June 8th. This January, we... We welcome the new year, I think, with $115 oil, something like that, wasn't it? You're saying 76 for crude oil futures. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it was a year ago, a year ago, 22. Yeah. Yeah. We rang in the new year in 22 at about 115 22, yeah, 22 was expensive. 22 started off at 78, but then it went up to 115 in March. At, thought, yep. So it was end of first quarter. Yep. <clears throat> Life runs so fast, I can't remember. Yeah. So take a look. That's what's happening in the crude. So there you have it. You know, you've got the price coming down a little bit. Now Saudi says we're going to cut production because they want to raise the price of their crude uh, on a national scale. So what does that mean for us? Well, that means that in the midst of inflation getting under control, the Saudis want to actually cause the price of oil to be less under control uh, because the Saudis are in it for themselves. So they want to get oil prices to go up. Now, a dirty little secret is sometimes the U.S. oil producers go straight to that price as well, and they make money just like anybody else. Yeah, when they have the so, cartels and the OPEC. Yeah, and, well, and the Chevrons and the Exxons, who if yeah. you take a look in the middle of COVID, Chevron and Exxon had record profits yep. in the middle of the... And so we can have the debate about price gouging here another time. But what it means is right now is still a time for you to be running the best business you can, treating your people well, keeping the great people, um, trimming, trimming off the, the other people because... There's the opportunity to do that and come out on the other side stronger than you got here. So that's the way I see it. Now, I said we'd look at questions. What yep. do we got? We got uh, some questions here. Let we got some up. good questions? Yeah, let me pull up the first one here. Uh, it was, okay. As a business who has access to capital at 8% interest rate on five-year term for a longer-term investment, versus spending cash for it, but depleting half our cash on hand. Would we keep dry powder or borrow? So what was the rate they're gonna get? 8% uh, interest rate for okay. a five-year term. Five-year term, 8% on five-year term. Yep, or so, spend half the cash on hand for the same investment. Got it. So it depends on what you mean by cash on hand. If your cash on hand was equal to two, three, or four months, preferably at least three to four months uh, total cash needs. So if your cash on hand equals payroll plus rent and some criticals for four years, I mean for four months, probably wouldn't do it. But if you have five or six months on hand, I might use half the cash rather than paying 8%. On the other side, 8% is not horrifying. Mm. It's greater than 2%. It's much greater than what LIBOR, which is a common index that's used to determine uh, business uh, lending rates has been, but I might be tempted to maybe only use a third of my cash on hand 
and go ahead and get credit at eight for five years because that's not crazy. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely not crazy. Um, so let's do a little case study right now. I'm going to assume you got a million dollars. I'm going to do that right now, financial calculator. So let's assume that you're borrowing a million dollars for five years, million dollars, you know, and we'll go uh, five years at um, 8%. That's 20 grand a month, 20 grand a month. Now, if you come out later and you get that refinanced at 4%, that's only 18 grand a month. So take a look at that. The difference between 4% and 8% is from 18 grand to 20 grand a month. It's only a difference of $2,000. Now let's take it all the way down to, because remember, five years is the issue. Since it's only five years, the interest that's in there for five it's, years it's not is not time. massive yeah. compared to the principal you're paying off. Now let's get all the way back down to 3%. 18 grand on the nose, 4%, 18 5, 8%, 20,0002. So you're only talking about a difference of two grand a month. I would be tempted because it's only on a five-year basis to keep a lot of that powder dry and go with the loan because remember, the majority of the loan, and I'm gonna do the amortization for you right now, I'm gonna look at it right now. Boom, boom. At five years, it's only 60 payments. Yeah, so your interest rate, your total interest is only gonna be 200 grand on a million, and your principal is 14 grand a month. So in other words, you're spending 14 grand a month paying off you know, the, yeah, the, 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 the loan, loan that you got. So I would be tempted to take the 8%, refinance it later, but keep my powder dry. So there's a quick case study. And by the way, I do these things all day long on my neck. People call me with these questions all day long. But that would be my answer there. I'd be very tempted to take the 8% as long as, um, and keep my powder dry, because cash is always king. Yep. We what have uh, one last question here. Um, should J.P. Morgan be allowed to hold 50% of Fed shares when most companies would be considered monopolies with such market share? Wow. Well, so the saga of J.P. Morgan is simple. An organization that ran a bank very, very well, um, and I mean the organization because Jamie Dimon hasn't been CEO for 50 years. This is an incredibly well-run bank. And because it was incredibly well run, it was incredibly well prepared. I'm not a defender of JP Morgan. I'm not an owner of shares in JP Morgan. I don't own that banking stock. But I will say this, JP Morgan was ready and was able to take advantage of First Interstate and Silicon Valley, excuse me. Um, First Republic. First Republic and Silicon Valley Bank when the trouble hit. They were ready, others weren't. They were ready to go to the auction and come out stronger. Others were. Um, do you remember that uh, chart that we had on the PBD podcast? It showed the list of the banks that looked like they could be in trouble in terms of the bonds and questionable and, and risk securities, distressed securities that they had. JP Morgan was at the bottom. It was like 3.5. Remember that? Yeah. It was a chart that had like 40 vertical lines, one line for every bank, and it went to the bottom, and there was J.P. Morgan at the bottom. What did that show? A well-run bank that was ready to take advantage of it. And now, maybe, maybe there should be 
a pause and maybe not allow them to go further because we're worried about monopolistic behavior on the other side. Yeah. Remember, in American capitalism, you keep growing your company until the Federal Trade Commission knocks at the door and says stop. But until that time, keep you going. should run the best company you can, as fair as you can, take care of your customers, take care of your, um, your employees, and take care of your product team especially, and keep going and keep driving because you end up like Walmart. Well, Walmart's now getting challenged by Target, although Target's doing its and best. And Amazon and a lot of yep. slew of other and places. So I, I, don't, I don't feel bad about J.P. Morgan being as big as it is because they, they, just, they were there to take advantage of things and actually help situations, you know? Uh, they may have laid off a thousand people, but there's still a bunch of people at 65 branches that are still working. There's a bunch of customers that still have the, the bank they have that didn't have to move. There's a bunch of things still there. I, I don't necessarily think that's all bad. Now, if you say, well, one organization is giving too much market dominance, that's for the Federal Trade Commission to say, hey, you can't buy anything else. And by the way, we've seen like Activision Blizzard. What was the... Um, there was the uh, big video game uh, merger that is still under review because they think it may make one side too big. So there are mechanisms out there to ensure that there's not one market player that becomes too big. And so, um, so I think that we have a government entity that can take care of this. And it's a very, very good question you're asking. But just remember, J.P. Morgan built itself big and was there to maybe win the spoils or capitalize on the moment help the federal government at the moment of need yep hard to feel bad for that right so on. thank you very much thank you for watching it's been the bizdoc podcast i look forward to seeing you next week again go to valuetainment.com there's all kinds of great uh articles and coverage we have there articles by me and other people a bunch of stuff that we covered uh, recently on a couple very big stories, but go check those out. And also take your time there to go to the store and check out the tickets for upcoming valuetainment conferences and digital courses such as Patrick Bet David's sales course. He also has one on public speaking and on setting strategy. There's all sorts of resources and you can find, click the link, find out all about the vault. Be here. If you're running a business or you work for someone that is or you're aspirationally thinking about starting out on your own, the vault is a great place to come and to be around and rub shoulders with people just like you, solving the same problems you are, listening to a great lineup of speakers, including Patrick Bet David himself. September 1st and 2nd, August 30th, September 1st and 2nd, Diplomat Hotel down here in beautiful Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Until next time, I'm Tom Mills with the BizDoc, and I hope I left you better than I found you.